Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. blog and podcast. Hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, July 18th, 2019. People, lawyers, judges, homeowners, tenants, they all think they know something about debt, or they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it because they feel they're running away from a legitimate debt. They're wrong. Wall Street knows a lot about debt. It has parsed the concept of debt into many different pieces, starting with interest, principal, monthly payments, accrued payments, balloon payments, risk of partial loss, risk of total loss, servicing fees, servicer advances, etc. Each one of those attributes has been sold by the investment bank that started the scheme. Each one of those attributes has been sold to a different company or investor. And then contracts on each one of those attributes have been sold to still more companies or investors. And then contracts on contracts, etc. The big winner is the investment bank, the broker who started it all. So, for example, an investment bank has promised to make quarterly payments to an investor if you make the payments on your mortgage loan. That payment is not based upon how much you pay in interest or principal, only that you make the payment. It is a bet. And as part of the bet, the investor can still get payments even if you don't make the payment. It's true that most of those payments are coming out of the investor's own money, but they're called servicer advances, another trick of Wall Street. But basically, it's a bet. The investor pays the investment banker for that promise to pay. The promise to pay is issued in the name of a trust that, as we will see in a moment, probably doesn't exist, and even if it does, it doesn't matter. The investor's payment runs to, uh, from a little more than the loan principal uh, and interest to a lot more. I don't mean the investor's receipt of payment. I mean what the investor pays for this stream of income. 
So you may have a $300,000 loan, but the investor is buying a certain rate of return, like say 5%. So if you have a 10% loan, the investor might well be paying 600000 for your $300,000 loan because that's how the interest would balance out. Where does that other 300000 go? The investment bank. The more I research and analyze the issue, the more convinced I am that the fundamental deficiency of the case against homeowners is hiding in plain sight when we're talking about foreclosures and foreclosure litigation. And I think the issue is jurisdictional. And if I'm right in that legal analysis, it would be possible to raise it at any stage. Remember, this program is being recorded. You can always come back to this recording or any of our other shows by going to blogtalkradio.com and searching for the Neil Garfield Show. Also remember, despite what you might hear from those who are selling services, who are not regulated licensed professionals, only a court order can stop a foreclosure or a foreclosure sale. There's no letter, no notice, no filing in the county records, nothing that can stop it except a court order. And that order, contrary to what I have seen on the Internet, must say that the foreclosure is dismissed, vacated, or stayed and not just contain general rulings about the pendency of the current action. No report, no matter how fine, will prevent the foreclosure without being presented in proper fashion with a foundation witness who then convinces the court that what is in the report is both true and persuasive that the homeowner uh, essentially should win. I pause there because in the seminar that I'm giving on August 2nd, I'm going to be making a big point that the forensic analysts should not advocate for the homeowners. They should simply report facts. So the shorthand way of saying it is that they're going to be reporting facts uh, in a true and persuasive way such that the homeowner will win. However, those people who are doing forensic analysis and reporting do provide a valuable service if they give you facts and if they report discrepancies and inconsistencies that you can use in attacking the case against you. Remember, here's another remember, the issue is not how can I prove that. It is about how can I shoot enough holes in the case against me that the judge can't stand it anymore. It's a cumulative process, but it's, it's the only one that works. Every homeowner that's won has won it by shooting holes in the case against them, not by proving something that resembles some kind of uh, conspiracy theory. And that's why I'm doing the free seminar on August 2nd, which is already filled, so don't bother trying to sign up. Wait until the next one. Uh, I want forensic uh, people to sharpen up their reports so I can better use them in my role as legal consultant to homeowners and lawyers 
and I could spend less time doing my own report before proceeding with the real work that I was hired to do. We all have our roles. Comments and suggestions are hereby solicited. Write to Neil F. Garfield at hotmail.com. Or you can go to the blog and just uh, click on the chat mode. Uh, that sends an email to me, and I send an email back. I'm pretty good at keeping up with that, usually uh, within the hour, uh, sometimes within the day. It depends upon it's, when it was received and what I was doing. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lives Blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lives, and GAR, and the Garfield Firm. And this show is brought to you because of donations to the Living Lives blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. Because thanks to the uptick in donations, we were able to schedule a free seminar on August 2nd. And we'll do more as we get more. It takes money to do this. It takes money to set it up. It takes money to prepare it. These are not things that just come out of the sky or grow out of the ground. So keep the donations coming so I can um, uh, get people involved in preparing the kind of presentations that you want to hear that will be most helpful to win uh, foreclosure cases. By the way, there's no guarantee you will win it, even if you do everything right. Some of the judges will rule for the banks practically no matter what you do. But my experience is that the employment of my methods, this is over a period of, oh, I guess, 12 years now, uh, gives you about a 65% chance of uh, prevailing at trial. Um, uh, it's all dependent upon the quality of the presentation and whether you work the judge properly. Um, I'm trying to do my best here for the last five years on radio and the last 13 years and my articles, seminars, and appearances on radio and television to get the point across that homeowners can do and should win most of the foreclosures brought against them. Neither the blog nor the radio shows are supported by anything other than donations. I'm not selling anything here. So... Hit the donate button on the blog or call 954-451-1230 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. If what I'm doing here has value for you, make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. It's not just me who's on this mission. It's you as well. Back to business. Whether it is Bank of New York Mellon, Boney, trustee on behalf of certificates, or Deutsche Bank, trustee on behalf of certificate holders, or U.S. Bank on behalf of the Sasco Trust, Structured Asset Securities Company, Corporation, or LaSalle Bank, on behalf of CWMBS, Inc., which is a countrywide security subsidiary acquired by Bank of America, 
They're all saying the same thing. And you see that in a lawsuit that's filed against you in the judicial states or in the notice of default or even before that in the notice of substitution of trustee. They're all presented the same way, word salad. The question is, what's in the salad and where's the meat? They're all saying the same thing. What they're saying is, we're not telling you anything about who we are, but the most basic rule of pleading is that you can't seek a remedy if you don't identify yourself. So, I think I'm going to sneeze. Maybe not. The court will not and cannot take jurisdiction over an allegedly disputed matter without two legal persons fighting it out. Lawyers, judges, and pro se litigants are missing the point when they assume that they, when they win the case and get an award of costs, fees, sanctions, damages, whatever, when they assume that they're being paid by the servicer and that kind of concludes the matter. Actually, it does and it doesn't. It's not the point. The servicer is not a party. The servicer is not entitled to the sale pro proceeds if the court had ordered the forced sale of your home. The only party entitled to the proceeds of the forced sale of your home is the owner of a debt who has paid value for that debt and who has a mortgage or deed of trust giving them a lien on your own, on your home. No credit bid at auction is valid unless submitted by a party who actually owns the debt, or what should, for what should be obvious reasons. Unless they own the debt, their bid is worthless since they're not offering cash either. So if they bid the amount you owe without owning the amount you owe, and they don't offer cash, they haven't offered anything. This is not a mere technicality. In many cases, even if you sell your home and you think you're paying off the mortgage loan, what you're really doing is giving more revenue to players who have already made at least 10 times more money than the amount loaned to you. And by the way, here is the message for those versed in even basic accounting practice. If that payment from the sale of the home will not reduce a loan, or for that matter, a monthly payment. If that payment will not reduce a loan receivable account that's carried as an asset on the balance sheet of someone who paid value for the debt, then you just gave someone a gift. If it doesn't end up reducing a loan receivable held as an asset on the balance sheet of someone who paid the value for the debt, then you have given a gift which they're taking as additional revenue. The debt is not reduced. And it's not your problem or my problem. We don't need to explain what happened to the actual debt or who owns it. All we need to do is show that the party seeking to enforce the mortgage is not allowed to do so. People always say, how do I prove that? How do I prove that? The idea is not how do I prove that? It's how do you poke holes in the case 
that's being presented against you, and a case is being presented against you even in non-judicial states. The job of the homeowner is to mount a defense that consists almost entirely of poking holes in the case against them until it falls apart. It's a cumulative process. There's no magic bullet that instantly makes it all go away. Virtually all cases that are won by homeowners are won this way, poking holes in the case so that it collapses. But in order to do that, you must be adept at discovery, pleading motions, timely objections, voir dire examination, trial strategy, and cross-examination. By the way, cross-examination is probably the most effective tool if you know how to do it. But not even the best trial lawyer can necessarily do that unless he or she has examined the most basic elements of the claim, starting with who is the claimant and how can that claimant be identified with certainty. Frankly, there are several possible motions or procedures that could be used to bring this up at any given point in time. And if I'm right, it's jurisdictional and therefore it could be raised at any time, including the late stages of appeal. The issue is whether a claimant has actually been stated or identified. Donald Duck could be stated, but he's not identified. Donald Duck cannot bring suit against anyone. That's because Donald Duck is a fictional character. As a fictional character, he is property and therefore lacks standing to bring any claims in court. He can't be sued, which is a whole separate problem, which requires analysis of your particular case. And Donald cannot sue you. He cannot sue to foreclose your mortgage even if you're eight years delinquent. Donald Duck cannot bring the suit because Donald Duck is not a legal person. Certificates, you've heard that term, don't have a claim because they are property. The owner of certificates also have no claim unless the certificates say they do. And even then, the owner still has no claim unless the grantor of the certificate had a claim to sell. So delivery of a certificate that says you have a right to enforce this mortgage from someone who had a right to enforce the mortgage, that would be a valid conveyance of a right title and interest sufficient to um, uh, enforce the mortgage because the owner of the certificates, the holder of the certificate, has paid money. So, in, in, in what you'll find is that the grantor is supposedly a trust. That's who issues the certificate. It's not the 
not technically the investment bank, but it is the investment bank doing business as the trust. The investment bank does not have any ownership of the mortgage. The investment bank doesn't show up in your chain of title. And the investment bank, while they may have funded the origination or acquisition of your loan, they get rid of that investment within 30 days after they shell out the money. So the question is, did the trust ever buy the debt or was the debt ever entrusted to a trustee as part of the trust, which probably, by the way, doesn't exist? The issue in your case is not who was the claimant, but whether any claimant was ever stated at all as required by judicial doctrine. Merely stating words on paper does not satisfy this requirement. Those words must identify a legal person as the claimant. So here's an example. If in your case the claimant is identified as the Bank of New York as trustee for the certificate holders of CWMBS Inc. CHL Mortgage Pass-Through Trust 2005-2 Mortgage Pass-Through Certificate Series 2005-2, that's the example we're using. A lot of word salad there. The certificates are mentioned twice, indicating that the lawyers who presented the claimant believed that the certificates had obvious importance. Certificates do not have standing. They're property. They're not legal persons. They can bring, they neither can bring claims nor can you bring claims against the certificates. You can bring claims against the owners of the certificates. The owners of the certificates could bring claims based upon whatever the certificates say. But the certificates themselves cannot be a plaintiff or defendant in court. Digital certificates, by the way, uncertificated certificates, do not even exist in the real world. That's another story. But the owners of the certificates could have rights and standing to enforce those rights in a court of competent jurisdiction. In this case, there's no reference to the owners of the certificates. But there is, and there's no identification of the owners of the certificates. But there is a reference to holders of the certificates, which might be a distinction without a difference, but the Uniform Commercial Code teaches us that the holder and owner of a note, which is different from a mortgage, could be two different legal persons. But in both cases, whether we're talking owners or holders, they're still not identified. So we don't have anybody yet, do we? By the way, the rules are different as to enforcement of notes and mortgages. Only with mortgages do you need to own the debt. With notes, you don't necessarily need to own the debt in order to enforce the note. What do you think would happen if you went to court and filed a lawsuit and asserted that the plaintiff is a friend of yours who did not want to be revealed for proprietary reasons, but who you were willing to show up for and give evidence? What do you think the judge would say? Let's say it was a slip and fall. I have a friend who slipped in front of a public supermarket and they injured themselves, and I'm bringing the lawsuit. Did you have any injury? No. I'm bringing it for my friend. They're afraid to come to court. 
judges, the judge would, in all cases, say case dismissed until you can come back and tell us who, and tell the defendant, publics, who's suing them and for what. Bank of New York Mellon clearly exists. It is a legal person, but that's not where the analysis ends. It is not being presented as a claimant. It appears as representative of a claimant, but who is that claimant? We have already established that it's not the certificates. What is not established or even asserted by anyone is that the certificates even have any relevance to the claim. I'm certain that there is nowhere in any record, court records, county records, or whatever, in which it is asserted or established that the certificates convey the right title or interest in the debt note or mortgage. Your forensic analyst can dig all that up. Decisions in tax courts across the country have already established that such certificates are not secured by any interest in real property, nor did they convey any entitlement or right to enforce any mortgage note or debt. So that issue is dead. There may be holders of the certificates, and there may be owners of the certificates, and the holders and owners might be the same, but the one thing they have in common is that neither one is identified as a legal person, and even if they were, they have no right to enforce the mortgage. So any bank like Boney Mellon, who says that they represent the holders of those certificates, can say that they represent the holders of those certificates. Maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. There's no way of telling which is another deficiency. But they can't say that we represent, that because we represent the holders of the certificates, we are now entitled to enforce this mortgage, even though the holders have no right to enforce it themselves. They can't say that without some sort of explanation, which would include some other document, since the certificate does not give the owners of the certificates, the right to foreclose. Your forensic analyst can point out the discrepancy based on this in, in, in their report. So far, we have established the Bank of New York Mellon is a legal person, but is not the claimant. We've also established that neither the certificates nor the holders or owners of the certificates are legal persons because they're not identified. Certificates are property, Holders are potentially legal persons, but not until they are identified. Therefore, neither Bank of New York Mellon nor the certificates nor the holders of the certificates nor the owners of the certificates have standing to assert any claim or defense in connection with any right, title, or interest to the subject property or the mortgage. Okay. So this could be corrected by naming the owners of the certificates or by naming the holders of the certificates and identifying the certificates such that the reader would know that the certificates have conveyed an interest in the subject debt note or mortgage. This has never occurred in any case, nor is it likely to ever occur because none of them do that. The whole point was for the investment bank to retain control over the whole thing. So they weren't about to give it to investors. As far as I know, there is no certificate in existence that makes an investor who purchases such a certificate part of a loan transaction. In fact, every effort is made to protect the investor from being part of any transaction in which the loan was originated or acquired. 
The investment bank told them it was for the protection of the investor that they were kept at that distance. But the real reason was to allow the investment bank a free hand in whatever it wanted to do with the loans and whatever it wanted to do with the certificates and whatever it wanted to do with the contracts sold, deriving their value from the certificates. It's accordingly irrelevant whether Bank of New York Mellon possesses some type of power or authority to represent the holders of certificates. So you've got some CWMBS Inc., which is only part of the name of the supposed trust, but the trust is not identified as to place of origination or jurisdiction in which it was created or in which it is doing business. So that gives you an overview of looking at what is, in essence, litigating with a ghost. And like Donald Duck, ghosts do not have court, nor to be represented in court. Thank you. We'll see you in a week. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.